Amen. Thanks, Scott. Woo! Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Coastal Community Church. I am Pastor Chris. Hey, guys, welcome. Uh, those of you tuning in online, uh, thank you for joining us, uh, both near and far. Uh, if you're near, uh, we'd love for you to come in person and check us out. Uh, man, what a great day we had yesterday for Saturday Serve. Uh, Saturday Serve, first Saturday of every month. We're out in the community loving and serving, being the hands and feet of Jesus. We had 173 volunteers here yesterday, so that was awesome. Hey, guess what? Merry Christmas, everyone. Everyone, woo! I know you're thinking, Pastor Chris, it's October. What's you talking about Christmas for? Well, because it's that time of the year uh, for us to partner with probably one of our longest running ministry missions partners that we've been a part of, and that's Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Operation Christmas Child is just a simple, beautiful, easy way to make an impact in the lives of children all around the world, children that are in poverty, children that are hurting children that are in difficult uh, areas to reach, and uh, it's very simple. Here's what I need you to do. Check out the little insert inside your uh, bulletin today. Uh, kind of explains all about Operation Christmas Child, and then it has suggestions to fill the box. So I need you to pray and think about how many boxes you and your family would like to take home and then and fill up. And then there's all kinds of things to fill it up with. You know, Hot Wheels and jewelry and t-shirts and socks and coloring books and noisemakers all kinds of suggested things there. And you just decide, you know, you're going to do girl, boy. So there's a label on everybody's box. You pick boy, girl, two, year, two to four-year-olds, five to nine, 10 to 14. Just check which one this box is meant for. Fill the box, and you bring it back to Coastal between now uh, and Sunday, November the 12th. And we have to do this now because all those boxes get sorted, uh, shipped uh, all around the world. And it uh, really is an opportunity. In fact, we have a 1,000 boxes out there. So I'd like to see all 1,000 boxes taken from this service alone. No, I'm just joking. You don't have to take all 1,000. We have three services today. But you know what? Truthfully, they're a lot smaller. I mean, these aren't like extra large boot boxes, okay? Um, but pray and think about who you, how many boxes you and your family could take and fill. And it's just an opportunity to teach your family, your children, about uh, generosity and about Christmas, that it's not about us, it's about others. And um, anyway, it's just such a blessing and a great ministry, and I'm excited about it. Again, this represents a thousand opportunities to make an impact around the world. And uh, each one of these boxes will get um, a, the gospel presentation in that child's language. And uh, there's so many cool stories that you can go on their website and, and see about... Um, People today who are in ministry, uh, believers, uh, who the very first exposure they ever got both to Christmas or the gospel was a simple shoebox. So on the way after church, just go out there, grab as many shoeboxes as you can, take them home, fill them up, and bring them back between now and uh, uh, November the 12th. You going to do that? All right. Very good. So you ready for some... um, I don't know, practical, practical stuff. That's where we're really at now in Romans. You know, as we made the switch from, you know, into chapter 12 forward, it becomes very, very practical. Uh, But today we might also ruffle a few feathers and step on a few toes. So that's exciting, right? Yeah, woo, you're excited. So let's jump right in. So here's the question. What is our relationship to the government? 
Woo! Okay, we're going to go there. Is it ever right to break the law? What if you don't agree with how your tax money is being spent? Should Christians participate in protests, marches, or other nonviolent acts of rebellion or civil disobedience? What about Christians who lived in Nazi Germany at the time of Hitler's rise to power? What if you live in a repressive communist country where atheism is the accepted religion of the state and where the Bible is outlawed and Christians are persecuted? So these are just some of the issues that Paul addresses here, either directly or indirectly, in today's passage that we're going to look at in Romans chapter 13. This is probably the most direct passage in all of the New Testament on this subject. What is our responsibility to the government? How are we to respond to the tension that we have to walk out of, okay, This world is not our home, right? We're just passing through. Ultimately, we know our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, so the tension of that, and yet we got to live in this world, right? In our day and time, in, in our country, with our government, and be good citizens. So how do we walk out that tension? So in terms of our responsibility to the government as Christians and as citizens, basically, according to this passage, God calls you to do two things, okay? Now, this is straight from the Word of God. Number one, you're taking notes, submit to authority. Submit to authority. Look at the first part of Romans 13.1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Number two, Our second responsibility as Christians and citizens to the government, you ready for this one? Pay your taxes. (laughs) Woo! Aren't you excited you came to church today, right? We should have preached this message maybe around the beginning of April, huh? Yeah. Uh, Pay your taxes. Romans 13, 6 and 7. Listen to this. This is also why you pay your taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, that's about as simply as you can put it. As a Christian, we are to submit to the government, submit to the authorities, and pay our taxes. Now, before we talk about why we are to do that according to this passage, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about how this passage kind of fits into the overall context of Romans, because you might be thinking, well, this seems really out of place, but, but it doesn't. It's not. It really is just a continuation of what Paul's been talking about. Remember, after the first you know, 11 chapters of discussing all that God has done for us in Christ, remember now, and then in chapter 12, we are to offer our very lives, our bodies, everything as living sacrifices. In other words, we're to give back to God all that we have, all that we are, and that ultimately is worship, our spiritual act of worship. Now, and then we talked about how the result of that will be a proper love relationship with God. And if you remember, that proper love relationship, God will then spill out and spill over 
and affect every area of our lives. It begins, remember, with the family of God, that, that first circle that we talked about, the church. It then expands to those who are outside the church, and then it even includes our enemies. And so it follows suit then that if we live a life dedicated to Jesus, not only will we have a right relationship with God, other Christians, outsiders, and our enemies, but we'll also have a right relationship with the civil authorities. So it fits. But this passage in chapter 13 is also connected um, in another way. Remember in chapter 12, Paul said in verse 17, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Remember, verse 19, don't take revenge. And we said last week that in the life of a believer, there is absolutely no place for personal revenge. Ultimately, God will settle the score. He will take care of it. Now, it's possible, though, that you might say, well, Pastor Chris, that sounds great, but... You know, right here and now, what if someone defrauds me in business, embezzles all my money? What if I'm robbed? What if I'm assaulted? I mean, if I have no right for personal retaliation, then who is going to make it right? Where is the justice going to come from? Well, Paul answers that in chapter 13. In part, you know, part of the responsibility, part of the role of government, of governing authorities, is justice and protection. Go back to the first part of verse 1. He said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now, he said, be subject to. Other translations say, submit. And notice that Paul says, who is to do that? What does it say? Everyone. Let everyone. Every individual is to submit themselves to the governing authorities. Not a suggestion, by the way. This is a direct command of Scripture. And the phrase, be subject to, in Greek is a military term that means to take orders, to line up uh, under. You say, okay, well, but who's he talking about here? He's referring to those that have authority over us. He calls them rulers down in verse 3. So he's not just talking about, you know, the heads of state. He's, he's talking about all levels of authority, you know, all the way down to local officials and police. But the real question is, and this is what I want to get into today, why? You know, why submit? Well, Paul gives us three reasons here in this passage. Number one, because of a divine decree, a divine decree, governments, rulers, authorities, ultimately are divinely ordained by God. Look at the rest of verse one. Let's look at it in its entirety. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Why? What does he say? For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Wow. That's pretty strong. In other words, the reason we've been called to submit is because all governments, rulers, and authorities exist by God's sovereign plan, his decree. Look at it again. Paul says there's no authority except that which God has established. So our attitude toward the governing authorities should be reflective of the fact, listen to this, that they have in some way 
been brought into being by God himself. That is what the word of God teaches. And you're like, okay, yeah, but Pastor Chris, that's the ideal, but come on. I mean, look at the state of our government. I mean, you know, we are to submit to that? Well, notice that Paul makes no distinction here between good rulers and bad rulers, fair laws, unfair laws. He just refers to governing authorities, all of them. He doesn't even discuss their character, their qualifications. He doesn't go into what kind of government is an authority. He doesn't do any of that. He just says, we're to submit. Look at uh, Acts 17, 26. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, God is the one who has designed and created all nations. No tyrant has ever seized power without God allowing it, ultimately for his own purposes. Listen, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel stood before one of the most powerful rulers the world has ever seen, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he said this, he changes times and seasons, he deposes kings and raises up others. Three times, in fact, in Daniel 4, we read this statement, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. You say, yeah, but what about all the cruel abuses, corruption, and evil, evil leaders that the world has seen? What about the Herods and the Neros and the Hitlers, the Stalins, the Husseins? How do you explain all of that in this context? Listen, all the cruel abuses and the injustices and the wrongs of government and dictators are no more a reflection of God's nature and his plan than infidelity, abuse, and divorce and marriage are a reflection of God's will. You know, those tragic circumstances exist, but marriage is no less an institution of God. There is abuse and heresy in the church today, but the church is still God's plan. It's an institution established by God. The Apostle Peter said the exact same thing. First Peter chapter 2, listen to this. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to what? What does he say? Say it out loud, Coastal. To what? Every human authority. Every human authority. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And then listen to this. This is crazy. Honor the emperor. Now, what makes that passage especially intriguing is the fact that The emperor Nero occupied the throne when Peter wrote that. And Nero had absolutely no regard for Christians. He regularly rounded them up, imprisoned them, tortured them. He would dip them in tar and light them on fire, put them to death. He was an evil man. 
you think we have it bad here today. And yet in that environment, the church flourished. And here's Peter saying, submit. Respect and honor those in authority. And even, listen to what he said, honor the emperor. You see, you might not agree with their politics or their practices, but we are called to honor their position. So first of all, there is a divine decree from God to submit to authority. He gives us another reason. Number two, divine consequences. Divine consequences. Look at verses two through four. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Speeding, you know, run a red light, rebel against authority, you're rebelling against God. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Wow. Paul's just being uh, consistent here. You know, think about it. Think it through. If all the authorities that exist have been established and allowed by God, then it only makes sense that those who rebel against those authorities are actually, in some way, rebelling against God. And that rebellion, the Bible teaches, does have consequences. And those consequences can be severe. You know, it, it, come on now, it doesn't take a graduate degree to figure out what you do with a sword. What did Paul say? But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers don't bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. You don't find people with a sword. <laughs> and so what Paul is saying here is that the government has been given that kind of authority to bring about justice and punishment. Paul gives us a third reason why we should submit to the governing authorities. Number three, a clear conscience. A clear conscience. In verse five, he says, therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. You know, think about it. The the motivation in verses two through four is all external, right? Fear of punishment. And now it's like Paul goes a little bit deeper and he says the the motivation here in verse 5 is now internal. The desire to maintain a clear conscience before God. You know, think about it. In 1 Timothy 1 and 5, we see the same thing. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Man, that's a great verse. You know, We are to obey, we're to be obedient, not simply because we're afraid of being punished, but because ultimately we're motivated internally by a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You say, yeah, but, you know, Pastor Chris, shouldn't we take a stand today on certain issues? Shouldn't we take a stand for moral values? Absolutely, 
Absolutely. But the idea, this is what you need to hear today, the idea of changing the world through politics, it is completely foreign to the word of God. Yes, we are to be the conscience of the nation, wherever that might be, through prayer, through faithful preaching of the word of God, through godly, peaceful living, confronting it not, not with, you know, political pressure and power of of man's ways and man's wisdom, but with the spiritual power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. You know, just like the prophets of old, we have every right and every responsibility to confront the sin of our culture. But we're not to engage in political acts of violence, overthrow, uprising against the government authorities. Jesus never taught his people to storm the temple gates. Jesus never taught his people to overthrow the king. He never led his people to riot. He never told the disciples to you know, barricade the building in Jerusalem or harass their leaders. Listen to me, Coastal. Christianity at its core is not, not a political coalition. We are not a political lobby. It is not a political viewpoint. And it is definitely not a political party. If you believe that, then like Esau in the Old Testament, you have sold your birthright for a bowl of soup. Presidents political parties, and nations, by the way, will rise and fall and come and go. And all the while, people are dying and going to hell without Jesus, without hope. And it's your job, and it's my job to love them and to point them to Jesus, the only hope of the world. That's either our mission or it's not. And in order to reach the world, we have been called to live this spirit of humble submission to those who are in authority over us. We're to commit our lives to godliness, good works, a quiet life that seeks peace. That's what scripture teaches. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Listen to this. And I want you to listen to these words closely and think about it as we, as we get closer to a, another election. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always gentle toward everyone. You ought to read that verse again uh, and use it as a filter before you post anything on social media. You know, be gentle toward everyone. Be peaceable. Be considerate. Slander no one. Now, maybe you're wondering, wait a minute. You mean that we're to submit to everyone and everything without exception? No. There is one exception. Look at Acts chapter 4. So the context here is that Peter had just healed a man at the temple who had been lame from birth. And so that obviously draws a crowd, and Peter and John begin teaching about Jesus, okay? 
Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The priest and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Now, the text goes on to tell us that the next day, these rulers and elders and teachers, they all meet together to discuss what had happened and what they were going to do. So they had Peter and John brought in, and they began to interrogate them about the uproar that they had created you know, about healing this man who had been lame and teaching about Jesus. Now, they had a problem. They had a problem. They could not deny that this miracle had taken place because the man that everybody had known had been lame was standing right there before them. But they didn't want it to go any further or get out of hand. So verse 18 tells us that they commanded them simply not to speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. So what did they do? There's only one thing they could do. He said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They kept teaching about Jesus. So here's the principle. Yes, we are to submit ourselves to the governing authorities, but there is one exception. We have a right to disobey the governing authorities when those in authority Tell us to violate the word of God. Tell us to violate God's word. You're never free to do that. You know, let's, let's talk about it in terms of, you know, 2023. If the current moral decay in our world continues to spiral downward, where, you know, everybody just keeps doing what everybody thinks is right in their own eyes, if that eventually evolves into laws that forbid us to teach or preach God's word to live out what we believe is his standard of morality or even to call sin, sin. And by the way, that day is coming. And in some ways, it's already here. Where what we might teach, preach, or believe is considered hate speech and eventually might even move into the realm of violating a law. That's where you have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm sorry, but you've just told me to do something that God forbids us to do, and I cannot and will not do that. Do you see? The command stands unless we're being compelled to violate God's word in some way. By the way, Do you know what happened back in Acts chapter 4? Verse 31 tells us they had a prayer meeting. They're filled with power and the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God more boldly. And you know what? The church grew, flourished. Same thing in chapter 5. After being called back in before the governing authorities who confronted Peter about the orders they had been been given not to speak or teach in, in the name of Jesus, verse 29 tells us that Peter responded with, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So, what do we do? Where do we start? I want to close with this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen to these words. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving 
be made for who? What's it say? Everyone. For kings and all those in authority. When's the last time you prayed for those in authority? Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What is it that God wants us to do? He wants us to pray. Pray for your president. Pray for our congressmen, our senators. Pray for mayors, police chiefs, judges, teachers, principals. Why? What does he say? He says, in order to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, so that what? What does Paul say? So that we can have more of the American dream. So that people would vote just like you do. No. That's not what he says. It's so that people would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Guys, I, I just think there are some believers today who have lost their way. That's our purpose. That's the why. That's the goal. Is that people would come to know Jesus. And I just think from time to time we need to ask ourselves, as a Christian, as a church, are we living in such a way that's leading toward this? You know, or have we forgotten what our purpose is? What about you today? Praying for those in authority? Passing that on to your children to do the same? Listen, maybe you showed up here today and um, you feel lost and you're hurting. And I just want you to know that God loves you and he has a plan for your life. And Ultimately, we've all lost our way. We've all blown it. We've all made mistakes. The Bible simply says that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That's all that means. But God loved you so much that he took care of your sin problem for you. You don't have to clean yourself up first. He does it for you. He did it already in sacrificing his one and only son, Jesus. He went to a cross. He took the penalty. He made the payment. They crucified him, they laid him in a tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead to prove his power over this world, to prove that he's alive. It was witnessed by thousands of people, it was recorded in human history. And he's simply waiting on you to come home, to come to him in faith. And if you will do that, he will forgive your sin guarantee you you a home in heaven forever and he'll give you a purpose to live for in this life. Let's live that life. Come home. Come to him today.
Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. And sometimes it's so easy to get wrapped up into all this world says and does, the ways of this world, the power structures of this world, thinking that our purpose is to have a piece of that. God, remind us today that it's to point people to Jesus. It's to point people to him. Nations rise and fall and come and go. But your word stands forever. Lord, I just pray for those who are here today that, um, that need you in their life in some way. And if you're here and you're ready to come home to God, just call out to him. He, he sees your heart. He knows where you're at. You don't have to clean up. It's not some long journey back home. It is really just this one step of faith. Pour your heart out to him. He will welcome you home. And Father, may, may our church, may Coastal, be a place that listens to your word, follows your word, and points people to Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.